0: You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 308. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your
1: host, Max Sklar.
0: Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum today, finally joined once again by Aaron. Aaron, how are you doing? I'm I'm doing well. It, it's been a little while. It has been a little while. Uh, I've been having a good time. I actually just got back from an incredible uh, concert of a of a trio uh, up in uh, New Canaan. They were called uh, Trio Fandolin. It felt very fancy, very like you know, uh, very kind of um, uh, very uplifting music. Uh, it was like one uh, violin, one viola, one cello, and uh, they were doing music from. Ukraine from Armenia from from all over the world and it was uh, uh, it was quite good
1: well, I, I was just gonna toss out that we we, we may be uh, discussing uh, some some popular music a little bit later on uh, oh nice but but uh, not what uh, what typically gets played on on that kind of trio so well what time what type of music
0: to... is that is that that's not classical that's like um it, ah. um you could use the term chamber music probably oh, okay. to yeah. to
1: encompass it, but but I, yeah because classical is really more of a period, yeah. But chamber is more of kind of a a, a style or a, a format.
0: I, I felt like they were almost recording for a um uh, like a, a movie score or something like mm. that, um, which is a different type of music. But today we're going to talk about the fourth turning uh, once again. This is. And I, I just finished reading the book. This is a new book that came out by Neil Howe. The fourth turning is here. Now we discussed his earlier book called "The Fourth Turning," uh, that came out in 1997 with William Strauss. So they were talking about the future there, and we were—they were saying, "Wow, the 2020s are going to be a real turbulent decade." And they were saying this in 1997. Well, here we are in the 2020s. Some of his predictions came true, not all of them, but 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 enough to to be. Uh, interesting so he decided to write a new book called the fourth turning which seems like a culmination it is 450 pages seems like a culmination of all his work as a demographer a uh, uh, political prognosticator uh, uh uh neil howe um and i i bit the bullet and i read all <laughs> 450 pages so here you go you can ask me questions about it uh but first of all let's um Let's talk about a little bit about what the the fourth turning here is, uh, because this is uh, Strauss' how generational theory, um, and I'm trying to think of how to introduce this. We have talked about this before, uh, particularly in episode one seventy two and one seventy three, when we reviewed the older fourth turning book. Uh, but it's really a a cyclical idea of history, and I first came across this because originally you and I, Aaron, we were talking about. And we probably should uh, dive into this stuff a little more uh, um, in the future. We, we would always try to make predictions on a technological basis. And so right. we would use frameworks like the Gartner hype cycle, and we would use frameworks like um, the law of accelerating returns, right? Ray Kurzweil. But I couldn't quite, I didn't have the tools to talk about social change. And I was like, well, that's the way it is. We should just keep it separate. We, we're the tech guys, you know leave social change to the, to other people or, or just, you know, being like, Hey, can't predict it at all. So don't even bother. Um, but this, uh, but eventually I came to the conclusion that no social change is a big part of the, it interacts with technology in a very fundamental way and you can't ignore it. Uh, if you're, if you want to talk about and vice versa. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to talk about social change, you can't ignore technology, which actually I think how, um, should go into more technology, technological change in his book, but that's, that's a little perhaps criticism that we could talk about later. And if you want to talk about technological change, you uh, should not ignore social change. Um, and so uh, the, uh, uh, this uh, fourth turning, uh, strauss how generational theory gives a really good framework for talking about social change. And really, he's talking about generations and how different generations of people uh, view the world differently. And it's funny because you think, well, why should I view the world exactly the same as someone who was just born the same time as me, you know? And uh so it's not that you view the world the same way. You might have different religions, you might have different outlooks on life, you might have different personalities, but you lived through the same events. You had you heard the same messages growing up. You heard the same commercials growing up. Now you might not like the messages that society uh was giving you growing up you might reject them but you still had to contend with them no matter what so there's kind of like um there's kind of like a shared language uh yeah, between com- everybody
1: exposure thing. i mean a, a microcosm of that would be um you know folks who who uh whether we're talking about you know world war ii or or vietnam or or more recently the global war on terror you know people who actually uh were in the armed services and fought overseas in these events uh, there's a certain camaraderie that they have with other folks who were there because, you know, th- they, they have a very distinct shared experience, uh, which in that case is not necessarily shared with their contemporaries uh, who who were, were not in that sub segment of the population. Um, yeah. And, and it, it, it creates, uh, you know, a, a, a certain divide, uh, but also a much stronger bond between those people because of of, of what they share there.
0: Yes. And um, not just political and, 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 and war, but also uh, cultural and, and um, you know, particularly pop culture and artistic trends as well. So, for example, uh, if you were uh, uh, in the silent generation, as like I'm thinking perhaps my, my grandmother was, you uh, would have been a young adult uh, in the 1950s uh, when, uh, you know, the, the big names would have been. Frank Sinatra or Elvis, right? And you remember that as a young adult. Now that's very different. Yeah, we could go online. We could go online and hear those things. We still hear, hear, he, you know, those are such big names. You still hear them in movies and stuff. But you know, we weren't around when when those people came out. We had a, a whole different set of cultural phenomenon as young adults. Uh, so it, it 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 does really provide a, a shared a shared language and also just like. You know, and this is a big, big part of the um, equation: how uh, how children are raised. Now, mm. <laughs> you might look across the world and across the country and you say, "Well, children are raised very differently." But it turns out like the experts that tell you how to raise your children, and the um, you know the, uh, uh, the the kind of orientation of the schools at the time, um, and even if you are like homeschooled it doesn't matter because you're still kind of, you've got your cohort that you still have to, uh, you still have to contend with. You still, you know, if you're eight years old, you have to care uh, how all the, uh, you, well, I don't know if you necessarily care how all the other eight-year-olds are raised, but how they're being raised is affecting you directly uh, that your parents can't really do much about. <laughs> so, um, so why does this create cycles? Um, and, and I think the reason is that, uh, and, and this has been noticed um, for a long time. It's not that Strauss and Howe made this up. They kind of refined the theory a little bit, which um, in a way that's like helpful to put it all together, but it might not be the only way to refine it. Uh, But it's been mentioned by the ancient Greeks, the Etruscans, the the Romans, um, and more concretely by, I think it was a 14th century Arab uh, writer called Ibn Khaldun, who said you know the future is the same as the past? And they basically uh, said that this is th- these cycles are um, are about the length of a life a lifetime. So they'll be about eighty to hundred years, and that's called the saculum. And what happens is a generation will raise the next generation, uh, depending upon the generations above them. Usually there's, usually when you're, uh, in your childhood, there are three generations above you. And then there's elders who could be very old and they're actually very interesting as well because those, uh, those, um, those, uh, what are they called? Late elders. I think he called them elderly elders. You, you, you've <laughs> lived, be you, you know, you, you've already lived beyond the, uh, the full saculum. So you, You've come back full circle. They're starting
1: to see repeats.
0: Yeah, and they actually have very interesting things to say. And so he got into some of that as well. I, I found that part of the book uh, interesting. Uh, but um, but usually there are not as many of them around these days, uh, you know, um, um, by the time he gets there. Now, these days, um, Howe says the cycle might be getting longer because – people are living longer and they're hanging on to cultural and political significance a lot longer as well. Uh, So, um, and you know, we see this in, in Congress and and I don't have to, I I probably don't have to make that, uh, that argument, but yes. So, Uh, generations raise the next generation, the next generation kind of reacts to the events and the attitudes of the previous generation. And that causes this, what ends up being uh, 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 a cycle of about 80 to 100 years. So one prime example, a good way to think about it is, let's say one generation is shaped by fighting and winning a great war, tired of fighting that war, they know what they fought for, they don't want to get into another war. Um, so the the attitudes of that generation, they're going to have one attitude raising their kids. The next generation, they have no memory of this, and so they're going to interpret events. And it's not that they're not going to listen to the lessons from their elders at all, but they're going to interpret them very differently than people who lived through it. And so uh, to make that more concrete, we have lost the World War II generation over the last few years, uh, and so that might affect the way people are interpreting events. Today And not only have we lost the World War II generation, but anyone our age, millennials, younger, we were not raised by people who remember World War Two either. So uh, it's it's getting uh, deeper and deeper uh, into the past. So you posted this uh, overly simplified version. Tell me about that, because I think that's more yeah, so-
1: easy to reference. I think a lot of people may have seen this in one form or another, but but it's it's kind of memified as uh, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times, and then you loop back over again. Yes, um, and, I,
0: I, and, I I keep thinking like you know, okay, we we grew up in good times, it's made us weak, and I'm like, okay times are getting hard, let's get strong. And then I realize, oh, no, 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 we don't get strong. We have to wait until the next generation. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but um, uh, uh, it, it, it that is well, the would, mean. Would,
1: would we be in the hard times or would we be the weak men creating the hard times?
0: Uh, yeah, it's unclear. Um, now, <laughs> no, so I should point out that, that in, in Strauss, how generational theory they don't... Um, they never talk about uh, strong men or weak men. They don't even talk about hard times or easy times. They're just different. Um, obviously, a fourth turning, which we're in now, which is the crisis time, could be very hard. A crisis uh,
1: doesn't sound easy.
0: Yes, it's yes. not
1: smooth sailing. But,
0: but you could have hard times uh, in other times as well, and you could have parts of the fourth turning that are not so bad. Uh, so, uh, so I, I, I don't... Um, it, they don't create much of a moral judgment on the uh, on the times and the um, generations as some people would like to do. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and the I think you're about to, to touch on the the generational types, the the names that he granted to them. You know, sure, hero and prophet uh, have have strong positive connotations to them, uh, but. But nomad and artist don't really carry negative connotations either, so it's no. it, they're 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 generally you know neut- neutral or positive, um, but yeah. that, that doesn't that's it, it it doesn't come with a a baked in value judgment.
0: And what's interesting is that um, for every turning, um, all of these things like you know n- everyone kind of participates to create right. the turning. It's not like they're
1: they're four generations around at any given time. It's just that they are in different. Uh, different stages of the upswing, downswing in their their dominance or their role in society. Right, and they're When creating, a particular turning occurs. They're
0: creating that. Right, right. So um, here are the four generation types, and we'll go we'll go through them in order. Uh, although I, I don't really know if there's an in order, but you know, let's see. So there is. Uh, so the first, well, well, in cyclical order. So we'll start with the prophet, which is what he starts with. Um, that is the. First generation type, they're usually they're called prophets because during the awakening they're young adults. Uh, these are people who are, this is the boomers. Um, they're born after the Great War and after the Great Crisis. Uh, so um, then after them comes the nomads, which I think is comes from like the, the the biblical story where it's like okay after the Great Crisis of the Exodus, now we have the wandering in the desert. And and the and the golden calf or whatever that's the nomad so that is that's Gen X and we're going to talk a lot about Gen X today because they're they're really interesting uh, these are people who are today in their forties and fifties uh, and who um, were born probably in the in the sixties in the nineteen sixties and the nineteen seventies um, and they tend to be a lot more cynical uh, than the than the generation above them uh, they tend to be. Uh, a lot more individualistic. And interestingly enough, the, the previous nomad generation is called the lost generation. They were the generation that fought in World War I. Um, in Europe, they were literally lost because a lot of them died. Um, and, but in uh, in America... Uh, you know they—they they were people who were born in the late 1800s, um, so that would include my great-grandfather uh, who I met when I was very young, who was born in 1899. Uh, These—he might have been too young to to fight in in World War One, or, or just barely, but um, I—I I, but he didn't. But you know, a lot of the people who World War One veterans were not treated the same was, way as was he already then. in
1: the states at that point. Oh yeah, or? yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. He's, he's born in the- well, yeah, um, and, and and our. Our, uh, the scale of our involvement in World War I was uh, significantly right. less than, than we would see in the next World War.
0: Well, if I remember correctly, and I hope I'm getting my history right, after World War I, uh, which is later on towards the fourth turning, they had like the, uh, the Bonus Army, which was a bunch of World War I veterans were not happy with the deal that they had, had gotten.
1: So oh, I, I, thought, I thought the Bonus Army was uh, Civil War veterans, but I could be mixing things up.
0: Uh, the, now, I, now I have to look it up to make sure I'm getting it correct. <laughs> but uh, uh, let me... Uh, the Bonus Army was a group of 43,000 demonstrators, 17,000 veterans of U.S. involvement in World War I who gathered in Washington in 1932. Okay, so yes, these would have been a lot of... Um, a, a lot of lost generation folks. And they were also the folks who were, you know, in the 1920s, uh, you know, uh, uh, involved in... Um, Possibly the illegal liquor trade, or uh, you know, uh, uh, F- uh, flappers, s- perhaps in the speakeasies. Yeah, yeah. Gen X is cool. Our nomads are, are cool. I like them. Uh, they're they're kind of the Han Solo of the uh, of the group, and uh, and uh, so so we're going to talk about them a bit. The next is the hero generation. Now that's us. Um, that's also the world, the generation that fought in World War II. Uh, they usually don't feel. Up to the task of doing what the last one did, uh, but that's actually quite common. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Does
1: he use the term "the Greatest Generation" to refer to that uh, no, generation? He uses he... the
0: term that "the GI generation."
1: That's that's a little bit more uh, uh, neutral sounding.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and then after, which I think is is the idea. And then after that, you have the artist generation which is the generation who remembers the crisis times, but they grew up in them. So their memory of the crisis times is, um, you know, okay, adults are really, really concerned and you better listen to them because some crazy stuff is going down. So uh, the current artist generation, uh, he's actually calling Homelanders. Um, Gen Z, he actually thinks is just like, You know, the media wants to jump the narrative of the new generation, but the Gen Z today is simply just the younger millennials, whereas we're the older millennial. Hmm. Um, So um, essentially these are uh, people who grew up uh, in the wake of 9-11 and COVID and and everything in between and just, you know, basically are are like, you know, kind of – uh, this generation is often like uh, um, you know uh, uh, they're the most controlled as as kids. Uh, maybe that's kind of a negative way to put it, but they're the most um, uh, they have a childhood where it's like you really have to behave, and so they're kind of like the the, ve- the very well behaved. Right.
1: The, the, the the polar opposite of of the kind of Gen Z uh, latchkey child stereotype.
0: Well, you mean Gen X?
1: Oh, sorry, yes, I. I yeah, I said Z. I yeah, I was I was looking at Gen X. Yes.
0: Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And so that kinda makes sense because we grew up in a world where we grew up in a world where it was that that whole between the latch key and the, the masked kid. Um we, we we grew up kind of in between that, where uh, you know, the rules on kids were tightening. And I I definitely saw that growing up and I just thought that was always the way it was. It was just yeah. we're just you know, we're just our, our childhoods more,
1: were becoming increasingly scheduled and coordinated.
0: Yeah, and I just thought that's the way society moves, but no, it's because we were actually in the really hard part of the pendulum at back then, which which is really interesting uh way of putting it. Uh so um so yeah, so those are the four generations. Artist generations. Artist is a really strangely named one. Uh they are often, you know, they are Economically collectivist, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know. So, so, so with
1: the the previous artist generation, would that be the silent generation? Yes,
0: people who grew up so like my grandparents um, or, or, or some of my grand some of you, some of my grandparents. I I don't know how old your grandparents were. Uh, they remember World War II, but were too young to fight in it. Yeah, um, I
1: think my grandmother was was in her early teens during the war.
0: Right, right. So your grandmother, same as mine. Probably grew up um, you know you might often think, well, uh, you know if Gen X was latchkey, then back then they must have been really latchkey, but actually, no, it turned out that the pendulum was kind of the other way now, obviously, technologically <laughs> back then the kids were going to be out and you 're not going to necessarily know where they are uh, in, so in one sense uh, they, they had more freedom than today, but um, it was definitely more of a uh, uh at least according to this book it was more of a society where no you had to make sure you know the kids were a little more controlled than than mm. they, they were in the in the they were more controlled in the 40s than they were in the 70s and then less control and then more controlled again uh in the 2020s um so uh that that and oftentimes it's the 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 nomads raising the so it's not like one generation always raises the other. Usually one generation is raised by the two generations above them. Uh, so that's kind of, but like the the Gen X will often remember being kind of having too much freedom. And they're like, Oh, we don't, we don't want our kids to have that. So they raised artists and artists often, um, you know, don't want to be raised that way either. And so they overcorrect on the other side. Uh, so, um, that That's one pendulum. and, and so, so this theory has many different pendulums. That's one pendulum that I think is is probably the most interesting and probably something that everyone can grasp. Okay, so these four generation types are always around, but it depends on who's who's the oldest, who's the youngest. You always have a, a prophet generation followed by a nomad, followed by a hero, followed by an artist. You can't go backwards, okay? Right. You only go forwards. Uh, if you want the pen, you have to wait for the pendulum to go full swing. So... The first turning is a high that's right after the war. That's um, uh, in the, the latest one. You could think of 1950s America. It wasn't only the 1950s, but um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, um, it's, it's the, the uh, so who's the oldest then? Uh, the oldest would be uh, the nomads. So uh, at that point, it was the lost generation was in charge. Uh, Harry Truman was a good example of that. Um, whereas the previous prophets were were fighting World War II as like a great the, the way he put it was like it's oh it's a great battle between moral battle between good and evil. Whereas Truman just gets in he's like all right we're gonna drop a couple nukes and call it a day, you know <laughs> uh, kind of kind of a thing. Um,
1: but well, no, so, the, so you made you made a comment earlier about you can't you can't skip a, a generation. You can't you, can, you know, go from, you can from nomad skip. to artist.
0: Sometimes you could skip or accelerate, but you can't go okay, back. So,
1: yeah. You, you can't go backwards, but you could move, you could move forward a little bit faster, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and we've, we've talked about, you know, cyclic and, and roughly 80 to a hundred years, but there's not, and we, I think we talked about this the first time through, but we're, there's not a hard and fast, like it's, it's gotta be 20 years of this. And then 20 years of this, there's, there's a little bit of a, kind of an, a, a stretch accordion, uh, Nature to exactly where those divisions
0: fall. And he talks about this lag where there's like a a period of three or four years when the new generational arrangement is in place where you're still kind of falling on old old habits until you realize, Mm. wait a minute, those other people are not there anymore. So, you know, and and then a lot starts to change all at once. So it starts with the high where, you know, the oldest are the, the nomads, followed by the um, the heroes that just won the war in midlife, uh, artists as young adults, and then the prophets are little kids. So they're, you know, they're, they're not in the equation. Then you move into, and so um, usually uh, society has a very uh, positive outlook at that point. Um, then you move into the awakening, uh, which is um, kind of a, Spiritual and cultural upheavals, which usually include political upheavals as well, uh, but they're not overturning the whole political system. Um, they're more like, you know, uh, they, they, they more go along with like the, the cultural uh, changes. So, so
1: this would be kind of the, the 60s and 70s countercultural yeah. cultural movement in the U.S.? Uh, yeah,
0: and I think it's actually, he places it from like like 1963 all the way to kind of like the mid to late 80s. Oh, so, wow, okay. Yeah, so it's 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 longer than you think. Um some good 80s music, I suppose. Um although <laughs> interestingly enough the um he puts the Reagan revolution as part of the uh part of the awakening. Uh it's not just the hippies, it's also, you know, the there's also the uh evangelical movements as well. Uh so it, 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 for all these things, it's not just um it's not just the, this right wing dominant or left wing dominant or traditionalist dominant or radical dominant. There's the, there's kind of a, a two the, sides. The whole,
1: to it. the whole society is swinging together in, in exactly. a particular direction. It just manifests differently in different you know parties or, or segments or sectors.
0: Yeah, so that's why he can say, hey, in this fourth turning, we're, we can't tell you which. Uh, which whether red America wins or blue America wins, we could just tell you how they're going to fight each other, you know, or how they're going to relate to each other as this goes on. So awakening occurs, uh, cultural upheavals. Then you finally get tired of that. So the, so, so that's the, uh, the prof- the prophets are young adults. They're taking part in this awakening as young adults. The artists are also taking part in this awakening as, as midlifers. Um, uh, one interesting fact that I remember from the book is that uh you know after World War II, uh the heroes, the, the GI generation, they come home, right? And they start having uh they start having lots of kids. Uh you know, the they're tired of this wartime stuff. They start having kids, you know, um, and, and you get the baby boom. The artist generation, the, the silent generation who were too young during World War II. Now uh, you know. Now they turn twenty right after the war, right? They start marrying and having kids as well. So you have two generations having kids a lot at the same time to produce the boomer generation. Hmm. Just kind of borrow from both both generations, which is actually something similar that might be might be happening in our future. Uh, so I guess the GI's, a lot like us, the millennials waited uh, longer to uh, get married and have kids. Um, but at the at the time, and this might not repeat, but. At the time, the silent generation got married and had kids very young, and as a result, in if you look twenty years down the line, the uh, the divorce rate went up quite a bit, and and uh, a lot of the divorce laws uh, were changed. Uh, he paints us millennials. Eh, this is this has been true for me, not necessarily, uh, uh, but like as being a lot more being all for. Uh, marriage and and, and as an institution, but being much more cautious than the previous generation. Um, Whereas, you know, maybe the nomad generation might've been a lot more uh, um, skeptical. of
1: That's uh, certainly the impression that I've gotten. However, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily have attributed that to a millennial thing as much as I'm in a, uh, you know, four year college grad bubble, uh, which, which is a socioeconomic indicator uh, tends to skew much more towards marry later, have children later, um, yeah, compared but- to the population at large. But but also that's a growing portion of the population. Uh, as you know exactly. I, I don't I don't know if you could say that that is uh, because of or or strongly correlated with uh, the, the the turnings. But but it certainly uh, happens to be at least this time around happening in uh, in tandem with it.
0: Right. Right. So if we go through the awakenings, right? hi, Everyone's raising kids. In The awakening. Uh, everyone is having. Uh, is 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 involved in, in in cultural upheavals. What happens to raising the kids? Eh, just let the kids do whatever they want, and that <laughs> that, that, that produces the uh, the lost uh, the uh, the the nomad generation. So they become young adults. Uh, the awakening kind of sputters out, and you have this unraveling, which I don't really like that name because. You know, the 1990s were, were pretty good, as were the 20s, but it's really a time where, okay, we've had political unity. Um, we've had the awakening that kind of is, is table stakes for the new culture. Now the unraveling is, I guess, it's, it's the unraveling of the institutional, um, uh, 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 like the, the, um, the institutional consensus from the high, I suppose. So, like you know, people are kind of off doing their own thing, and th- they often say like unravelings are, are are a great time to have like a a, a frenzy of innovation with like um, new uh, new startups, new technology. Yeah. So, I mean, a, 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 a
1: way to, that you could couch that is that uh, our our latest unraveling uh, kind of coincided with the fall of the the Soviet Union, and so all of a sudden. Uh, a force that that has, for uh, basically two generations, the uh, focused a lot of our our national and international efforts. Uh, the you know this this conflict of ideals, uh, you know, having a, a concrete enemy. Uh, it's gone now, and uh, now that we yeah. don't have that that unifying focus, uh, it makes sense that things would start to kind of unravel and fall apart, and we'd find other things to. To fight among ourselves over,
0: it is yeah. It's really interesting. And so, one thing that people like to do with this is they like to quibble over the dates that um, the different things start. But but you make a good point because um, Neil Howe puts I, I don't know exactly when he puts the end of the second turning. It's sometime in the mid eighties. Uh, certainly the fall of of communism has to be a very important event. Uh, and I'm sure he would agree at the beginning of the, of the latest unraveling. Uh, so basically the latest unraveling, uh, we heroes are kind of too young uh, to, uh, uh, to remember it. Nothing is really settled. Uh, you know, there there's wars and stuff, there's political debates and stuff, but nothing really gets settled uh, during the unraveling. And then finally the, the prophets, uh the boomer generation uh, become the new elders And then you move into a crisis mode where they're like, all right, it's the fourth quarter of our lives, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Let's bring it on. Let's bring on the great, uh, you know, good and evil uh, 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 fight. And so that puts us as young adulthoods uh, kind of in the crosshairs of that. I'm sort of um, interpreting it in a certain way. I'm sure it could be interpreted in in many different ways. And then the new artist generation is born, you know, and they're kind of – they're 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 living amidst this crisis and the nomads the uh the kind of gen x people are are raising the new kids and they're also kind of um they're the ones making the kind of decisions uh during this time they're they're the generals they're the you know they're the they're, they're the doers they're the practical ones that are putting everything into effect
1: so they they may not be the levers of power but they're the ones uh, yeah. executing the
0: uh well Executing could, yeah, they, they don't have as much power uh, because they're kind of not a dominant generation usually, uh, but they are, they, I mean, there is power in being the one executing everything. I mean, I wouldn't say that sure. Eisenhower had no power uh, during World War II, but he wasn't the one who was, um, and, and, and he had a lot of a moral influence as well, I'm, I'm sure, but you know, he wasn't the one uh, defining the, the great moral battle at the time. Uh, so eh, I don't know. You could probably you could probably, um, you, you could probably uh, like I, I remember all the examples that are given here. It's you could probably quibble about whether they're good examples or not, but um, I'll use them. Um, okay. So well, so
1: so one thing that you you mentioned in passing uh, was uh, that that we could see some departure from this in, in the sense of things being sped up or condensed in, in how quickly we move through a phase or, or, you know, how, how long a generation may actually be on, on the map there. Um, one, right. one of the other things you mentioned in your notes was, was, uh, that, that, uh, departures from this or conflicts here could come when, when societies who are at that, who, who are in different swings of their pendulums interacting with each other. Um, and, and I don't know, did, did they address in, in, or did, did he address in this latest book uh, whether we are at an end of that, that? That in a a society that has become almost completely globalized, uh, can a, a case where well, oh Europe and and the U.S. are on different different uh, different timelines? They're in different turnings right now, um, and and so you can't you can't map directly between them. Uh, give, given where where we are now in terms of of the the global economy, global. Uh, you know, society is—is is that over? Uh, you know, until well, we see a, a significant fracturing, or or could s- that still be happening today?
0: Yes, yeah, so you talk about the French Revolution and how at the time, like Europe was a little bit behind the Anglo sphere, uh, uh, Britain and the U.S. However, um, yeah, I, 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 my my impression, and I can't, you know, I read the whole book, I internalized it i I'm, I'm not sure i can get every quote exactly but my impression of what he's saying is that uh this may have reset everyone on the same timeline thanks mm. to world war ii but we only have um we only have one data point so we don't really have enough uh, we can't really say right now
1: yeah i, I mean because uh, tell me to hold this thought if if it's appropriate but uh I'm curious, was there anything that that he called out specifically that oh, we got this wrong in the first book and and I'm not just elaborating on the theory, I need to correct something or or reverse something we laid out there
0: oh interesting no i don't I don't think I remember that
1: um so so everything, cool everything he, he said chapter. before holds up he's he's just got well you know a, a, another twenty years of insight to to add on to it
0: I guess so, yeah, 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 and so. Right. You talk about like um, expanding and contracting timelines. Uh, wh- what's interesting is, you know, that the Civil War saculum is kind of messed up uh, in, 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 in his theory, because, uh, OK, uh, you know, what he calls the uh, the era of good feelings is a really long first turning that stretches from George Washington all the way through uh, James Monroe um, but historically, when we talk about the era of good feelings, that's usually only talking about that last president, James Monroe, <laughs> uh, which is really interesting because no one ran against James Monroe, but so he considers that one long first turning, then you have the war of 1812 during the first turning, the confirmation war. And then after that, you get another high or a continuation of the high because you had just, uh, won or I guess completed that war. I mean, <laughs> there's arguments over who won it. But, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, an interesting quote on that where he was like, well, um, oftentimes at the end of a turning, the prognosticators make really bad predictions about what's coming next because if you're going around in a circle, you usually are looking at like the last 50 years and that often goes in the complete opposite direction than right. what you're thinking, and I think you said at the end of the first turning uh, last time, Thomas Jefferson uh, predicted that uh, pretty soon everyone would be a, a, a Unitarian, or, or I'm not exactly sure what the meaning of uh, uh, what that means, or, or maybe like a Deist or a Rationalist or something. I think he said Unitarian, but but my interpretation was like, okay, people are kind of uh, people like very kind of. Um, uh, rational uh, sort of um, uh, people have sort of turned against re- religion, maybe, and people want a more uh, kind of uh, <laughs> metric uh, wor- worldview at the time. And so this is what Thomas Jefferson was predicting a few years later, right into the to uh, an actual awakening. That was like well, a huge shout.
1: Putting on my, my engineer hat, I'm trying to yeah. visualize this graphically, and I'm thinking yes. we're talking about a, a circle.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, if we want to stretch that circle over uh, uh, an x-axis of time, really that, that starts looking like a sine wave. Right, and, right. And whatever we're, we're graphing on that si- – whatever the amplitude of that is, uh, if you're at a point on that sine wave, you are going to be uh, very tempted to make predictions uh, by trying to linearize you know, where you are and where you've been. Uh, and that works great if you're on the upslope or the downslope, uh, but as as you start to peak or 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 uh, or hit the the bottom of the trough, those yeah. linear predictions are going to be uh, very poorly fit to what's about to happen.
0: Yeah, and, and usually the, when you're at the peak or the trough, that's usually when you are when you finally become confident to make those predictions. Because when you're in the middle, you're like, oh well, it's not really a pattern just yet. So um, that that causes a lot of the. Uh, a lot, a lot of the poor predictions. Um, so I th- does that thing about Jefferson make sense? Um, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to understand what he means, but it's essentially like this awakening will, will never happen. Uh, and then that's yeah. what happened. So, um, okay. So uh, let's see. Um, some interesting points in the book that he makes, and you could agree with these or disagree with these. I feel like they're qualitative statements. So it's hard to get, data on them although it's well documented the book so maybe maybe there there is some data but he says you know young adults in the 60s and 70s they kind of turned against their parents music all new music um now there's seeds of the um awakening starts in the high so maybe you can include some music from the 50s in there as well uh, but that hasn't happened as strongly there was kind of like a uh, there's kind of a quote like hey millennials you know, you might have your own music and you might not love your parents' music, but we know you still listen to it and keep it around, <laughs> you know? And, uh, whereas, um, whereas the, uh, uh, the prophet generation didn't do that as much. Um, and so they say, we'll be wondering why the, the next few generations will be so different from us culturally, whereas we kept our, our, our parents' music.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I, I, and, I, I was I was curious how how uh, whether that's a, a one sided or a, a uh, you know a, a two way street there uh, that that is it is it just that uh, how how much it is is it that that the next generation is is not rejecting their parents' music or or is it that the the the, the parents are are uh, not as harshly judging uh, their, their children's music. Cause I'll put on my angry man yells at clouds hat and say that I, I think there's, there's a lot of, a lot of garbage music coming out today. That's just empty pop. Uh, and, well, and that, that seems like that's, that's what gets the most playtime. Uh, now, granted, I could say that about a lot of things from the nineties the and two thousands too. Yeah. But, uh, that, so, so there's, there's probably some survivor, uh, uh, bias, you know, feeding into that.
0: So if you may say about it, you're not wrong. So you're right on all counts. Uh, you could say that at any time. I mean, like, even the, you know, even the 60s and 70s, most of the crap that was produced, we just don't hear anymore. So, uh, and I think adult, I think adults are always going to say, uh, you know, kids these days and their music. But you're actually right, because we are at the complete opposite end of the circle. We're at the complete opposite end of the saculum from the uh, cultural awakening. So uh, we are yeah when the stuff that's coming out now is not really um it's not really that great. We kind of have to wait a few years for the uh, uh for the high and then we'll start to see some seeds of the of the next awakening uh so it according to this theory, the music should get better in a few years or it should <laughs> start to go in the opposite direction but throughout our lives they seem to have gotten worse and worse well uh, I,
1: so I I do remember hearing um that, that that's back. actually
0: that's one of those sine waves that that we could be misinterpreting because we're at the bottom of that in terms of I guess music quality.
1: I, I remember the you know re- let's reach back to like Occupy Wall Street and and that, that seemed like this is this is the moment where you know the protest songs of our generation should be be formed and 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 be taken up and I I can't really think of one piece of, of music or or pop culture that came out of that that particular movement that particular time that has any staying power um, yeah so so there's something to be said therefore we're, we're as as much as we we think we might be going through these these you know world defining or, or, or generation defining struggles we're not producing the the art so to speak that that goes with that that we've seen in some previous generations from I believe from the you know the what is it, the nomads and the artists
0: right I, I believe it was Howard Stern uh, who uh, who was a boomer who lived through 9 11 and who went from turn the entire Middle East to glass and uh, and and kill everyone in the region to being uh, anti war in about five years or something and then I, I remember him saying okay now all of the protest music and stuff is coming back probably remembering the the 60s and 70s mm. and it's like no, I mean, yes, there's music about that, but who are any of them remembered like if you want to think, okay, give me like a a, 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 a some music protesting war that's popular, it's not going to be from the last twenty years
1: yeah it's 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 going to be like fifty years old
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly so um
1: well that, that 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 makes me think a little bit of the um and and I don't know how how well this extrapolates into current day into the future, but um, you know there was the what was the show Mash, um, which which was ostensibly set in the Korean War, but was really a uh, uh, a commentary on the Vietnam War and how uh, you know a, a generation will use not not their current conflict or their current war, but they'll 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 comment on that by making art about the previous one and. Kind of the 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 cycle of you know when when did uh you know when did when did westerns when did cowboy movies kind of phase out and all of a sudden it was it, the time was right it had been long enough that they could start making World War II uh, movies and uh, it, surprisingly we actually seem to be in a resurgence of that um, I think the the what is it uh, is it Spielberg is doing Masters of the Air and there's there's some other stuff coming out uh, I just saw I want to say it's on Netflix yeah. that they're they've taken a lot of uh. Footage from World War Two and remastered and colorized it, uh, and so uh, I I I wonder what that signifies that that we're seeing, uh, you know, because because World War Two movies kind of peaked and, pe- and disappeared, yeah. but it feels like they're they're maybe coming back a little bit, and but I feel uh, like they've
0: been done in every turning, like
1: yeah, because but 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 why is it that we go back to that particular well rather than uh you know we really haven't seen a resurgence in in movies about Vietnam. um, Right. And and almost, you know, there there was a brief period where you got movies about Korea that, that really hasn't uh, resonated through the ages in the way that the other conflicts have.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was the fourth turning crisis. So that's the important one that, that they're going to make a lot of, uh, make a lot more content about. Mm. It doesn't mean you can't make content about anything else, but it's, (laughs) it's it's just not going to be the same. Um, Okay. So, another interesting thing, uh, a point about awakening in the book, and maybe this is kind of a scattered um, kind of scattered, but just, these are just quotes I remember from the book that were interesting is that the awakening of the sixties, seventies and eighties occurred more strongly how claims uh, in Germany and Italy, the, the losers of world war II, And he speculates the reason of that is that after being on the losing side of World War II, there was more urgency for cultural change, and also, you know, in the in the winning side, in the U.S., there there is some respect for the World War II generation, even if you're turning against them culturally. Whereas, in these other countries, uh, those generations are not going to hold any. They're they, not going to. They put were much up more willing
1: culture. to buy into, you know, kind of wipe the slate clean and, and fill it with something new.
0: Exactly. exactly. Interesting. So, um, so now I don't know anything about. Uh, this time period in Germany and Italy, so I can't really comment on it. But it was an interesting, it was an interesting point. Um, okay, so uh, another cultural point that I found interesting was, uh, you know, we talked about Boomer and Gen X comedians having a hard time going onto college campuses uh, because uh, back during the Awakening and the Unraveling. You really want to push into people's. You really want to push people's buttons. You really want to uh, accentuate the differences. You really want to push the boundary. Uh, we've come to the end of that in terms of our um, in terms of our kind of cultural preferences, and now the younger generations don't don't like that as much. Um, hmm. So uh, you know. Uh, uh, homelanders are and and just like the artists before them our, our grandparents might not like that type of comedy now also it's all it's all the woke stuff but i i think that um i think perhaps and, and, and I've,
1: I've heard some some inklings of of perhaps a a backlash or or a, the pendulum swinging back in the other direction but it's not in that generation as a whole it's very much in certain segments of it
0: yeah and there's um, always going to be There's always going to be some people who are into that. Interestingly enough, he mentions some, uh, you know, some, some Gen X comedy and some, some movies, which was somebody put on hot tub time machine on a trip I was on (laughs) recently. And and then I was reading the book fourth turning, which is like a very sophisticated book. It mentions hot tub time machine. Now, I don't know. Do you remember the movie hot tub time machine that was with um, John Cusack and, uh, and Rob Corddry?
1: I, I remember bits and pieces of it.
0: Right, right. Uh, so Rob Corddry kind of carried that movie. That is very really funny. Uh, so the the premise is these are guys in their 40s. So at the time it came out uh, 2010, it would be uh, uh, Gen X um, oh. folks. And they're not really happy with where their life has gone. They kind of feel like their uh, youth was misspent, which is a very common theme in a nomad, uh, a, a, a nomad um uh, it, it for for the nomad archetype and they kind of wish they could go back in time so they go back to the old ski place that they the the old ski mountain in in Colorado or, or wherever it is somewhere out west uh, where they were you know they used to party it up because you know nomads in their youth they're partying it up right so so they go back there and the place is a complete dump um you know the uh you know there's a lot of the, the, the place they used to go to are closed and boarded up. There's graffiti everywhere. They go to the hotel that they were at. It kind of smells funny, you know, all that. Uh, yeah, so the,
1: the years have not been kind,
0: right? So right now they are at the ends. They're at the end of the third. Ter- so the movie takes place at the cusp between a third and fourth turning. We've unraveled.
1: So, then so they- unraveling and, and about to hit the crisis. Right.
0: So they go to their hot tub, uh, there's uh, uh there's like a dead raccoon in the hot tub and they're like yeah but then then it mysteriously gets fixed and, and cleaned up so they decide to hop in and uh, they get taken back in time to 1986 which is the second turning turning into the third turning they went back one turning okay so they could so, so do the, it all
1: I, I don't know if that would be the peak or or the end of the the awakening but. The end. Uh, very, very much riding the high of the awakening.
0: Right. Right. So at the end of the awakening, they're at kind of the uh, the peak. Gen X is having fun uh, type. It's it's the the mood is very uh, is very upbeat, jubilant. Uh, whereas the mood mood at the end of the unraveling is uh, is uh, very, very negative. And so they can see if they can uh, 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 do their do their life over again. And so that um, that. That was an interesting example of kind of a a, 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 a nomad tale, uh, which <laughs> I thought was was pretty funny. Um, my uh, particular uh, favorite is a movie called Grandma's Boy. I think it came out in either two thousand six or two thousand eight. I should.
1: And this this is uh Adam Sandler, uh, yeah, joint, right?
0: So he, Adam Sandler's not in it. It's uh, a- Alan Covert. Ah, okay. Um, and so you could say, yeah, he was born in sixty four. Nick Swardson. He was born in 76. So these are all these are all Gen Xers, right? Peter Dante, uh, born in doesn't even say where he's born, man, that guy uh, is uh, <laughs> completely unknown. All right. Um, so and, and of course, um, Doris Roberts is the as the grandmother uh, silent generation born in 1925. Uh, so you can already tell because the movie's called Grandma's Boy It's 2006 is about uh, generations, right? Yeah, so,
1: and I'm just looking at the uh, – I don't know if it was the poster or the, the, the cover from the, the DVD, but it's – the vibe it gives me is very, like, channeling Animal House.
0: Oh, that yeah, the, um, the poster does. Yeah, but the, I, the artwork I, on it. Yeah, I don't think the movie is anything like Animal <laughs> House. It's basically – they're stoners, and their jo- whole job is to test video games, you know, and his reasoning – is like, hey, this, this works for us. We're, we're not here to, uh, you know, we're not like the boomers that either want to uh, go work for a, a big firm or want to, you know, do, you know, um, be uh, very idealistic. This is just, it's fun. We make a living. Great. You know, and so uh, they're uh, Gen X um, video game testers. And there's a scene where they like, when they take breaks, they go into like the video game room and they play against each other. It's, it's, it's kind of, they play, (laughs) there's a, there's a dance dance revolution game where they're like um, they're playing against the millennials and winning uh, basically. uh, And and he's like, Oh, it says I broke the game. Is that, is that bad? Is that, you know? (laughs) Uh, so, So, so they had their boss, who's a boomer, who's always trying to get them to like, you know, um, uh, who's always trying to get them to do like meditation in meetings to try to like uh, uh, find the answer and stuff is always trying to trying to find like uh, uh, spiritual meaning in everything and they're just like this guy you know and they're just they're just trying to test the video game or make the video game uh, uh, so and then um, so uh, and then of course you know they have the, the the grandmother who's who's a silent generation and all that so very interesting. Uh, uh look at the generations, and it's kind of a, a pretty funny movie uh, as well. Um, sometimes one generation makes a movie about their generation too late, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it sometimes it doesn't. Um, I feel for, for example, what's another movie like this? Another stoner film, I'm thinking. Uh, is, uh, you remember Harold and Kumar? Yeah, go to White castle. yeah, that so that was written by Gen Xers. About their own college experience, but I think they did a good job of like updating it to 2006, Hmm. uh, so that it was more uh, it was more millennial focused. They were more um, it was more like trying to find meaning in everything, not just mess around. (laughs) Kind of a uh, kind of a a vibe to it, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and and I if I remember correctly, that that kind of became an instant cult classic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it did. And there, there's examples of movies that didn't work. So um, I don't have any good examples. I, th- I guess one is The Exorcist. Where I said, well, remember during the uh, 60s and 70s when uh, an early uh, uh, 60s and 70s... Well, okay, Gen X wasn't born in the 80s because that's already millennial at that point. But, uh, but it, was still, it was still the second turning in the early 80s. But... Um, Basically, this whole genre of the kids are evil, like mm. evil children movies. Well,
1: and and that's when the whole I'm I'm blanking on the the term for it, but the the like Dungeons and Dragons uh, moral panic uh, happened.
0: Oh, when, oh, tell me about that. I don't. Know
1: oh, about. oh yeah. So so D- Dungeons and Dragons, a classic game. Uh, I think it was. I, I I feel bad not having the exact dates in front of me, but I think you know it was it was launched in like the 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 seventies, but but became very popular. Uh, among, you know, uh, school-age kids in, like, the 80s, uh, and uh, there there were uh, quite a few people across the country who, who viewed this as uh, kind of in the same way that, that some people reacted to, like, Harry Potter, that, like, this isn't just a harmless game, this isn't just a story, this is... You know, they're, they're, people are, are, are learning witchcraft and, and actually summoning demons and there were, there were some concerns about people who, like kids who disappeared and that, well, he actually, you know, he went down in the, the, the steam tunnels to, to summon a demon and uh, it, 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 it absolutely went overboard but people were very concerned about, uh, about this and, and very much in line with that like the kids are evil uh, kind yeah. of thing that, or may, maybe not that the kids are inherently evil but the kids are dabbling with evil.
0: Right. Um, We should mention Harry Potter, uh, too, but, but just back to this, like the kids are evil genre. So evil kids are, you could probably find movies made about that every year, but they became popular around mm -hmm. that time. And so they were popular, making money. So, uh, (laughs) studios kept making them, but at some point people stopped going, uh, in large numbers. So they, they stopped making them. And then at some point, uh, it was, it was good kids where we need to instill values and, you know, uh, so, um, yeah, it's always the, the nomads are the bad kids, but the millennials <laughs> are the good kids kind of a kind, kind of a vibe. And then the and then the uh, the the artists are like the, the sweet, quiet kids. Um, so the, the, there's kind of that uh, that progression a little bit. Um, Harry Potter is interesting because that's like a, that's a millennial tale, which is, you know, it's almost like, oh, Gryffindor is clearly the hero generation of the uh, of the Harry Potter houses right uh, you, you, so could, you
1: could certainly try and map uh, the 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 different uh, generational archetypes onto the, the the different houses and that that oh, yeah. that hints at the the danger of well if you just start dividing things up into four groups and you you can you can arbitrarily kind of squeeze and map it onto onto anything to, to fit well, a pattern uh, I don't this, think it's this arbitrary. seems to hold up more uh, it, it maps over a more consistent historical pattern than, than kind of the, the snapshot approach.
0: I think many, like, important, like, you know, cultural and, uh, like, and literary and, and religious works that break into four types uh, often map to each other very well. Mm. Uh, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, I You know, uh, so uh, now...
1: Yeah, we we don't have to dissect it now because I think we talked about it in, in
0: uh oh, episode <laughs> one seventy two or seventy three,
1: but but uh Star Wars oh, oh, sorry, to Harry and, and, and how oh, that okay. has uh yes. very distinct uh you know different generational roles and how they play into the story format there.
0: Yeah. No, he totally uses uh these generational patterns for Star Wars. Um and notice like the Force Awakens. Well that's an awakening after the the crisis of the original movie. Um but uh yeah, so he's coming back to well, yeah, okay. Well, you know what? I've mapped the four Harry Potter houses onto the four generational archetypes. Why don't we have the audience do it and see if it agrees with? Uh, <laughs> leave, with leave this with as what an I exercise
1: to, to the audience. Uh, an exercise send, send, to the audience. You know, tweet at us, email us, and uh, let us let us know what you think, and we'll tell you if you're right or not.
0: Right, right. Okay. Another interesting point is that the superhero genre uh, was invented during uh, in the last uh, crisis, the '30s and '40s. Uh, during World War II, a little bit before World War Two, um, that now as unprecedented popularity today, that is the kind of thing that sees a resurgence during a fourth turning.
1: Yeah. So, and, and that that raised the thought for for me: are are we seeing kind of a one to one mapping of that between between uh, the the World War Two uh, kind of development and rise of the superhero and and the popularity popularity of superheroes now or uh, is there a distinct difference you know is is are we seeing uh, maybe the rise of more of, of anti-heroes rather than heroes uh, in in our superhero media um, or or is my maybe more simplified view of of how hero stories were told superhero stories were told back then uh, being being uh, ineffectively filtered, that 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 nuance yeah. or that complexity was always there. Uh, I just I'm not I'm not looking back to the right material.
0: Well, Batman is is often a darker kind of mm. a figure, and so it, my question is, and I don't know this, you know, Batman, is really campy in the '60s, <laughs> but then gets darker and darker as time goes on. Um, in, is is in, that
1: a one way valve, or are we going to see a pendulum swing?
0: yeah yeah did did batman start in the comics uh because you'd really have to look at the comics which was the the way it wasn't like movies and tv it was that that was the way people were uh, consuming it in the in the 30s and the 40s um was that like a darker grittier batman uh for for the times uh that would be uh an interesting uh an interesting i, I
1: would guess not but i i'm certainly not equipped to answer that but uh hopefully some of our listeners uh have have deep knowledge in this field
0: do you think batman was as campy in the 40s as it was in the 60s i can't imagine it was
1: no i i I don't think it was as campy but i don't think it was nearly as gritty and dark as as it has become
0: well how you know it's it's the look at the 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 genre though it's 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 you're trying to do it in a a comic book i think here's a here's someone who would have benefited from learning strauss how generational theory and that's. Joel Schumacher, I think, was his name. He was the director of the absolute flop, Batman and Robin, uh, that came out in the late '90s. That was the only one mm. with uh, George Clooney, and it was basically he really upped the camp. It was the campiest of camp, and people didn't want that. People wanted the uh, Christopher Nolan version. So mm. uh, uh, he he tried to he tried to go in the wrong direction. Yeah, he was he was this.
1: leaning into the way things were were pointing and yeah didn't anticipate the curve
0: right so he was he was trying to go back to the uh, to the awakening uh, when he was in unraveling big mistake big mistake uh, so uh, I, I suppose that's the case now and of course you know the entire uh, universe of, of movies about um, you know the, the whole entire Marvel universe uh, all came out in this fourth turning which is uh, is pretty incredible um uh oh, although
1: I've, I've definitely heard it argued that we have uh, we've hit superhero fatigue and yeah, uh, well. now is is that because they've uh they've squeezed the uh you know squeezed the 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 Marvel Cinematic Universe dry um or or is it because that we happen to be at that point in the turning where uh, no matter how many movies they've made by now uh, we we would be seeing, uh, you know, people people looking for something a little bit different, getting tired right. of, of that approach. Well,
0: if it's the former, then we should see movies that fill the same. And by the former, I mean it's just the Marvel universe. Yep. Uh, then we should see similar themed movie that kind of fill that same need uh, right. it, for for like written about different different things. So that 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 would be what to look for. Um, another thing that gets popular, particularly at the end of the fourth turning, is. Um, you know, a, a lot of uh, discussion, and maybe he's—I don't. I'll, hopefully, he's not just taking this as like one data point in the 1940s, but like a lot of movies and or a lot of uh, media about uh, returning home. Hmm. Um, so that's something to look for as well. All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed our discussion on the cultural side of strauss Hau generational theory. Uh, this conversation was done at you know one in the morning last night. And it goes on another hour. So we're going to play that next week. And that is on the question of how will this present crisis, this fourth turning, resolve? So a lot of the book talks about that. And so you're not going to, if you like this discussion, you're not going to want to miss next week on our predictions on how the fourth turning heads out. Uh, Hope you enjoyed as we approach the end of 2023. Have a great week, everyone
1: Feel the power